Today, I'm going to talk with you about how Christmas ignited my life's mission. And we're going to spend some time in 2 Corinthians in, in that in just a minute. I want to talk to you. I talked to you last week about, about how Christmas ignited something very personal. I've always seen Christmas as an igniter, that there was something that happened. You know, uh, today we're going to talk about how it ignited my life's mission. You may not connect Christmas with life mission, but I promise you it's there. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because everything God does is by design. Everything God does is by design. God doesn't do anything absent of a plan. God doesn't do anything absent of a plan. Everything God does is by design. And so there's this church, uh, much just like a church like Clearview. It's a church in a town uh, called Corinth. If you're from Mississippi, it'd be called Corinth. Uh, you, you add, a, add a syllable. All those of you from Mississippi would understand exactly what I meant by that. Uh, you know, that's, I've always found that interesting. In the South, we add different names to different places. One of my favorites is in Kentucky. It's not Versailles. It's Versailles. And, uh, and that's, that's awesome. If you're from Kentucky, only you would get that, right? Uh, if you're from Tennessee, uh, I could go on forever because we we rename towns all the time. It's not Normandy. It's Normandy. Uh, if you're from, you can always tell. Uh, I grew up in Tullahoma, and people that if, say they're from Shelbyville, I say, where did you grow up? Oh, yeah, Des Moines. I say, exactly, because uh, if you're from Shelbyville, it's Cheville. Uh, it, that's where you're from. I'm from Cheville, and, and so that you don't know how to say it. you got to learn how to say it, right, exactly. So um, that's one of the, where was I going with that? I got off on a tangent <laughs> there for a minute. Um, Corinth, Corinth. All right, back on track. Uh, back on track. Uh, Corinth. So, uh, and it's really hard for me because I went to college real near Corinth, Mississippi. So every time I read that, I want to say Corinth, you know, or Malachi, the Italian prophet, whichever one you, you like. Um, those of you scholars will get that later, right? So today we're going to talk about this church named Corinth. And, and there was this group of people that, that God, that Paul was trying to get them to understand that they were made for more. They were made for more. He was trying to get them to understand their purpose. So we're going to pick it up in 2 Corinthians. Now, let, let me tell you, if you ever think your church has problems and you want to feel better, read First and 2 Corinthians because you will feel better about yourself instantly. Because this place, if you ever remember the show Jerry Springer, this is the biblical example of Jerry Springer. This place was messed up, had a lot of stuff going on, and Paul was trying to help them understand that they were made for more. So we're going to pick it up in, in verse 16 of cha uh, chapter, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. And, and here's what we're gonna, Paul, Paul said to them. He said, therefore... Now, we recognize no one according to the flesh. In other words, we don't see people with earthly eyes. We see them with spiritual eyes. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we now know him in this way no longer. In other words, we know him as who he is. In verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, the new things have come. Now, all these things are from God. This is our key couple verses right here. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's a big word right there. He gave us a ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Therefore, it says, 
God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Boy, there's a lot to be said right there. And what we find in that statement, it says, if you caught that phrase, that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He actually gave you and me a ministry of reconciliation. That is who we are, and that's what we're called to do. And so the real question is why, right? Why? We are ambassadors for Christ. Why are we called that? Why are, why are we called to this ministry of reconciliation? That's the real question. So if Christmas ignited something, God never does anything by accident. He did something on purpose, and he ignited a ministry of reconciliation for us. And I'm going to walk that out for you this morning. And here's why God's called us all to a ministry of reconciliation. First of all, I would tell you it's because we were built for eternity right? We were built for eternity. I think I had, there we go, because every person was built for eternity. Every single person you're ever going to meet was built for eternity. In this chapter, and I don't I have time to read the whole chapter because it's like, like the Apostle Paul's true nature. Paul, Paul is not a, uh, a, a shallow person. Paul's a guy that goes deep and he goes deep in a hurry. And and so there's a lot to cover in this chapter that I could spend weeks in, but there's a part of this chapter that proves this idea that every person was built for eternity. You kind of see them covered again in Romans, but he says it in chapter 5 in the first couple of verses. Look, if you've got your Bible, and boy, I hope you do, look at what he says in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, for we know that if the earthly tent, he's talking about your human body, he's talking about your, your actual human body, if, if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we having put it on, we will not be found naked. For indeed while we are in this tent, that's another metaphor for our earthly body. For indeed while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, he who has prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. He uses the word groaning. He uses it again in Romans, that there's a, a groaning inside the human heart. We were built for eternity. Do you know that it says in Ecclesiastes that God has set eternity in the heart of mankind. Let me tell you what he means by that. You ever, you ever been working a puzzle and then when you find that perfect piece, it slides in perfectly, right? There, or when you've been making, a, I always think of a cookie cutter. When you, when you take that cookie and you press it into the dough, it cuts out the shape of anything you want it to be or whatever that shape's supposed to be. God has taken himself and he has cut a mold into the human heart. And that human heart is a, a heart that is designed for more. So the reason that when you become a believer and you follow Jesus, the reason that you long for more, and it's more than just the acquiring of things, or more, life is more than just getting things and stacking up things and having a peaceful life and then dying one day. The reason that you're not content, Christian, on this earth, well, you should be glad about that. You should be glad about the fact that there's, a, there's something that doesn't fulfill you. And, and you watch the human race, you watch people all over, they chase bigger titles, they chase initials before or after their name, they chase more square footage, they chase more zeros in their bank account at the end, not on the front end, right? They, they chase all kinds of things. You watch the human heart chase all sorts of things, relationships, people chase things all the time. You know why? 
It's an indicator that you were made for something more. You weren't made for just this life. So when you become a believer, you start to realize, yeah, no wonder, no wonder I'm not at home here. No wonder I'm not at home here. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying we groan for more. The reason that God gave us the ministry of reconciliation is because people were built for eternity. And so what happens is they end up chasing all the wrong things, and it is on us to help them say, oh, but look, I discovered, I found the meaning, I found what mattered, I found, I found this missing link that I'd always been pursuing. We were built for eternity. God never does anything by accident. Everything God does is by design. And so he ignited something at Christmas to start paving a path for us and in that path, that song that you just sang a minute ago in worship, praise the Father, praise the Son, that the, it, there was a line in that song that I always love, that the church of Christ was born, that, that the Spirit lit the flame. Everything God does is by design, and he does it because we were built for something more. Why did God give us a ministry of reconciliation? Because people are built for eternity. And I'll tell you another reason kind of carries in tandem with that is because every person will stand before God. Every person's going to stand before God. I want you to look in verse 10 of this very chapter. It says, we've been given a, a ministry of reconciliation, but, but I'm going backward here a little bit to show you why it matters. It says in verse 10 that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed or repaid for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I put that verse up there for you to see, 2 Corinthians 5.10. The reason that God has given you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the reason that God has given every one of us, I don't care what you do, I don't care how you serve God, I don't care what your life ambition is, your chief aim in life is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and become a minister of reconciliation through whatever you do. That is what we do. That is why we're here. But you know why? Because every person must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The word for that is called bema. It's a bema seat. You may have heard that if you've been around church in any time in your life. There's a, a bema seat. And it, and it literally just means a throne, an established, elevated place. And every person that's ever lived is going to have to appear before that. And every person that's ever lived is going to have to stand before that and give an account, the Bible says. You see, the reason that reconciliation matters so much is when you stand, when you are, listen to me, friend, listen to me, you're going to stand in front of that seat, and so am I, every one of us. And the only way that you can stand in front of that judgment seat of God and not be destroyed, because nothing human can stand in God's presence. See, God is fully holy, 100% holy. So in order for you to stand in front of God, in order for any flesh, living, body and soul person, in order for any person to stand in the presence of God, that person has to be fully made holy. Has to be fully holy. 
in, 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 other for you, in, in ways that you're going to have to stand in front of God and not be destroyed. Something's got to change your nature. And that's why Christ came. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that we could become righteous in Christ. You see, Jesus transformed us so that we can stand in front of the Father, wait for it, without fear. You can, stand, you can actually stand in front of God without fear. And the only way you can do that is you have an advocate, Jesus Christ. So, so we stand in front of this beam of seat, and every person is going to have to stand in front of, of that seat for an account. That word, that word reconcile, that word reconcile that you've been reading about this morning, it's a political term. It's a political term that means there was harmony made between enemies. Well, that's, that carries a different weight, doesn't it? Harmony brought between two enemies. Paul says in Ephesians that we were by nature objects of wrath. Is it because God's mean? No. Are we, are we under the wrath of God because God's mean? No. No. What Paul's getting at right there is that because we have sinned, we can't stand in the presence of God. And so when you begin to see that God is reaching out to the world for reconciliations and we get to be spokespeople for that, it's mind-blowing. Sometimes it helps to see it. Sometimes it helps to see just how far God wants to go to make reconciliation happen. Now, I've never claimed to be an artist. In fact, I'm very, very far from it. But I drew something out for you, and I want to walk you through it. Sometimes it just helps to see it. So let me show you a process right here. I just drew it out in Photoshop, and it looks like it. But on that Christmas day, if you missed last week, I would really encourage you to go back and listen to what Christmas did. See, God never does anything without design. Everything God does is by design. So when God sent that first Christmas day, he was heading somewhere. He was moving somewhere. It wasn't just a beautiful night that we can sing songs. I'm going to tell you what God didn't have in mind, friends, okay? When God sent Jesus there in Bethlehem that first night when it all started, and we're about to celebrate it this year for many times over, he wasn't just thinking, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to create this time of year where they all get to bake stuff. And then buy stuff. Gain seven pounds so they can get a gym membership in January. Right? And create all kinds of cool songs by Nat King Cole, which I love. And have all these cool traditions. No. We did all that. And that's fine. We did all that, though. God never does anything without a reason. Everything God does is by design. Everything God does is by design. And so when he, when he brought that Christmas night, from there, there, Jesus launched a ministry of 33 years, and Jesus walked to the earth, and he taught, and he spent time with mainly 12 men. And he walked this earth, and he began building a ministry that we're still talking about today. So after that first Christmas... When Jesus Christ, just like the song that you sang a minute ago, Christ came, he went to the cross, he went to the grave, he came out of the grave, which is why you're here, and then the Spirit was birthed into the church, and then we began what I would call just the era of the church. And the era of the church, sometimes it just helps to see it. See, and that era of the church is where you're at right now. 
So when, on that first Christmas night, God was starting a process to reconcile. And then when Jesus went to the cross, he did the deed of reconciliation. And then he, the Spirit birthed the church, and the church is now the, the, the spokespeople for reconciliation. And, and God was, has been gathering people to himself all along. And then there's going to come a day, there's going to come a day when God is going to set all of humanity in front of what is called in Revelation a great white throne. And when he does that, he's going to seal off time and space. And he's going to have a people unto himself. And the first heaven and the first earth will pass away. And everything will be made new. You see, everything God does is by design. Everything God does is by design. So from the moment that that first Christmas night hit, God was gathering a people to himself. When Jesus, Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself, Jesus was drawing people to himself. He sent you and me in the era of the church to send out his own covenant people to draw people to himself. And then at the end of time, he's going to draw all people to himself. Let me ask you something, friends. Do you see a pattern here? Because I do. I see a pattern. There's something about that image that reveals the very character of God. It reveals the very personality of God. Our God is a reconciling God. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? That was really weak. I'm going to say that again, golf clap congregation. Listen, listen to me. Aren't you glad God is a reconciling God? Amen. Amen. I'm glad God's a reconciling God. He's been drawing people to himself since that first Christmas night. He's been calling people to himself because of the love that he has that none should perish. Have you ever noticed, have y'all ever noticed at Christmas, I, I notice a lot of things about Christmas, and Christmas always does something kind of cool. I, I think uh, it's always neat how at Christmas, giving comes on our minds. You ever notice that? All of a sudden, donations go up. And I don't think that's just because people are trying to get in their year-end contributions to whatever their favorite charity is because they can get a better tax break. I, I, I'm telling you, I think it's very real. I think people start thinking about, ooh, how can I help that family that had a house fire this year? Or, whoa, wait a minute, what if we could help this organization? Have you noticed every year the, the spirit of giving goes up at Christmas? Let me tell you something. I think that is just a a very simple indicator that we know that we were built for more. That we were built for more than just living and dying. That we were built for more than, than just, I think, people, Christian, non-Christian, regardless of race, regardless of religion, people begin to give at Christmas. Why? Because there's something in the human heart that tells us that there's got to be more than just growing up, getting through life, getting married, getting divorced, having kids, getting old, getting a disease, and then dying. There's got to be more than that. And so people begin to give at Christmas. Why? Because I believe that they feel something in their heart that there's got to be more than this. There was two, two very polar opposite psychologists um, that have hit the human scene in, in the last century. And they've shaped a lot of psychology over the years. 
And these two men are, are not in any way connected. One is Sigmund Freud and one is Viktor Frankl. You've, you've probably surely heard Sigmund Freud's name. He's the, uh, he seems to be the root of a lot of jokes. And, um, but Viktor Frankl, I don't know, you may not have ever heard of him, but you, you might have. Freud, Freud believed... Freud believed it, it, the, he, he created some pioneering psychological theories, but chief of, of the, um, the underwriting of his psychology theories, the, the, the undercurrent fueling his beliefs about the human mind, it, it was all centered around that everything we do is for gratification. That everything that motivates you, and I'm, and I'm boiling it down very simply, I know, but the basis of what Freud taught was that, that everything that motivates you and me is really a need to get more, be more, do more, but it's a need to feed the self, the ego. So that's, his idea was that the basic human lives and breathes to just constantly seek gratification. But Viktor Frankl said, no. That's not true. See, Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor. He literally survived the concentration camps. And he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And Frankel believed that what, what drove the human wasn't a need for gratification. Because if you watch people that do that, no matter what they do, there's never enough, right? Have you ever noticed that? That people that are on a constant quest for more, Solomon even said it. Don't you love it when, don't you love it when people hundreds and thousands of years later come up with new theories that God originated? I love that when people do that, right? Solomon said, whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves power never has power enough. Whoever Loves anything, fill in the blank, never has enough of it. So Victor Fanker, he saw through that and he said, no, the reason that the human heart is motivated is because we need something to let us know we count. That we need to know that our lives actually mattered. This is the quote of one of the things Frankel said. He said, what man actually needs is not a tensionless state that is the good life, but rather the striving and the struggling for some goal worthy of him. What mankind, what he needs is not the discharge of tension at any cost, but the call of a potential meaning waiting to be fulfilled by him. Man, you know what he's saying right there, don't you? The American dream is that we can get it all, keep it all, put it all in a can, put a lid on the can, seal off the can, and then sit on the can so nobody can take what's in our can, right? Bring it all in here tight and live a good life. And Viktor Frankl said, no, you don't need the discharge of tension. It's a very educated way of saying you weren't built just to have an easy life and then die. By the way, this is coming from a guy who lived in a concentration camp. He said, 
What keeps a person going is knowing that there might be something more, a potential call, that there's more to this life. And that's why at Clearview, we talk all the time that we we don't want to see any more purposeless people. God made you for a reason. God wasn't just populating the planet when he made you. He made you for a reason. And the Apostle Paul told us that that reason is that we are ministers of reconciliation. Being ambassadors for Christ. Saying, I found life and you can find it too. So that when your friends and your granddaddy and your uncle... And the vice president of your company, and the person that works in HR, and that person that goes with you in algebra class, that person that lives beside you in an assisted living home, that cousin that you're about to see at the dinner table in a few days at Christmas, all of those people are going to stand in front of the Bema seat of God, every one of them, whether they want to or not. And we have the honor of being ministers of reconciliation. Saying, you, you could stand in front of that beam of seat too, just like me, without fear. That's why we talk so much about finding your purpose, because what you do matters. In fact, we have a thing at Clearview called the path to purpose. And this is it. The path to purpose is, is, it starts on the, in the orange. That we're connecting with God's kingdom. That, that Actually, you encounter Jesus, and from there, you connect to God's kingdom, and then you find freedom. We're about to go into a freedom study in January. Why are we going to go through keys to freedom? I'll tell you why we're going to go through keys to freedom as a church. Because it's really hard to pursue your calling if you're weighted down by a whole bunch of stuff you've never dealt with. It really is. And I want to tell you, if there's one thing about people that live in Williamson County, we don't want to deal with stuff. We just don't. We just, we just keep thinking, you know, I left all that back there. You know, I've ministered in this, in this county for 20 years, and I'm going to tell you that most people thought they left it back there. But all of us have life stories. And not only do we have life stories, we have consistent life's issues. There's not a single person sitting in this crowd today that if we didn't dig just a little bit into your life, there is a, there is a place you don't want to talk about. I don't have any place like that. That's why I do what I do. Just, I just help you deal with it. No. Every one of us have things that we constantly bang our head against the wall. We all have things that trip us up. And until you find freedom, your purpose is going to be really difficult. But when you've got the tools to deal with how God made you, oh man, then all of a sudden you begin to discover your purpose. And when you discover your purpose, you can engage your calling. And that's why we talk so much about it, friends. Because life is never going to make sense to you Listen to me, Christian. Church isn't going to make sense. Life isn't going to make sense. Business isn't going to make sense. Marriage isn't going to be fulfilling. Relationships won't matter as much. Money won't mean as much. Nothing will make sense until you 
come to grips with the fact that God made you for a reason. And when you find a person that taps into that, man, when you see people, one of the most beautiful thing as a pastor that I get to see from time to time is a person that goes through the path to purpose, goes through place, and finds their reason for living. Now look, God may not have called you to birth a brand new ministry. In fact, most of you won't do that. There are dreamers and there are doers. Far more people do than dream. Many of you aren't called to invent something. You know what you are called to do? Help something go. You're called to help make something move forward. Some of you are called to join in. Most of you are called to join in to take your love for serving people or your love for the hurting, or your love for business and help something else make sense in a business sense. Some of you are called to, to, to help teach because you're good teachers. We all have gifts and talents, but until you employ those into eternal purposes, none of it's going to make sense. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. Let me tell you what Clearview is not. Clearview is not called to be a whole bunch of do-gooders. Just helping organizations, making our town a little better, a little nicer, a little cleaner. Helping out with organization over here, organization over there. Anybody can do that. You don't need Jesus to do that. No, what Clearview was called to do is do all of that in Jesus' name for Jesus' sake. To do all of that in Jesus' name for Jesus' sake. That we could in turn show people that there is a God. And he does care about them. And he does love them. And we are the agents of that message. And there is nothing more honoring to know that power. You know, if you got a phone call right now. I've, I've, I've known of people to get phone calls from the President of the United States. And the way it typically goes down is you answer the phone and someone says, your name? Yes, this is me. Please hold for the president. Oh, okay. And then people tend to hang up on the president sometimes too because they don't think it's really the president. (laughs) But if you got a phone call like that, and right now President Biden said to you, hey, I need you to go carry a message for me to a country. Let me tell you something. Regardless of your political persuasion, that would be an honor of honors to get to do that for your president. But those guys only last four to eight years. You've got an eternal God that has said to you, I need you. To do something for me. So Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. The love of Christ drives us that we are ministers of reconciliation. This Christmas, my hope and prayer for you 
is that you see that Christmas ignited something. It ignited your redemption and it ignited your ministry of reconciliation. And that's my deepest heart for you. I'm going to ask you to do something. Right on our homepage at Clearview, there's some graphics there that you can download. Just click on them and save them to your camera. You can screenshot them, crop them, whatever you need to do, but they're on our homepage right now. And one of the fastest ways you could be a minister of reconciliation is not to post this on Facebook. By the way, you know that Facebook hides like 80% of what you post. Do you know that? Yeah, they do. You can Google that. I'm not lying to you. They hide most of it in a feed. It's a weird algorithm, but it happens. No, don't, don't just blast it to the world. Do this. Scan your mind. Scan your heart. God, who needs? I did it just yesterday. I took that graphic and I sent it to a couple of friends that I know need Jesus. And I said, hey, listen, tonight at 4 o'clock, tonight at 4 o'clock, we're going to have this musical and it's awesome. Right here in this room, 4 o'clock, we're going to have this thing. If you're not doing anything, would you come? See, I, I want you to scan your brain and ask God, who needs the love of God in their life? And I want to tell you, there's not a single person that you lock eyes with every day that doesn't fit that description. Every person that you lock eyes with fits that description. They need the love of God in their life. And that's what it means to be a reconciler. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if, if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.